It's only the old people that are laughing here. Because the younger ones would have paper with sticky bits on the end. And Christmas began by making a paper chain, which is a very different chain from what that one was. But we're going to read about a man this morning who was chained because no one could tame him. No one. We do live in a society, partly, where there are situations which cannot be tamed by man. And they can only be dealt with by God. Jesus. But before we do that... Also in our story this morning are pigs. Um, we had a bit of a joke at a, um, a, a meal we had in our house the other day, and uh, some people were very greedy. And I said, well, there are only two people in this world, pigs and Christians. <laughs> Not to point any figure, things like that. <laughs> but that's just a joke. And you know what? I want to get pigs out of the way before we look at this man. We live in a world, and I'll say this reservedly, but I'll make the point later on, where there's an unhealthy concentration on the welfare of animals associated with the demonic, which we're also going to look at this morning in our story. But just to make the point, in our story, we read about 2,000 pigs are drowned in the sea. And could be up on those slides up there, Vicky? Maybe. Oh, there we are. We have people swimming with pigs. The people are the Christians, and then there's the pigs. All right, okay. Uh, no, it's not quite like that. And then there's another picture. Ah, look. Pigs are excellent swimmers. Why did they drown? Crossing water to seek food, escape danger, find a better habitat. And you know, there's even a guy doing a university research in the swimming pigs. Wild boar are known to be competent swimmers, capable of covering long distances. In 2013, one boar was reported to have completed the 11-kilometer, seven-mile swim from France to Alderney in the Channel Islands. Probably the French did that, I don't know. I just hope it's not a French person here, I'm not being rude. But um, who would just put a, a pig in the water and make him swim that distance? I just don't know. So what would the papers say about the pigs if they had papers and news reporting in those days? Well, if there was a Jewish chronicle, let's have something like this. 2,000 strong pig swim, all drowned. 
And the Jewish reaction to that, because we're still in Jewish territory, um, they'd probably be quite pleased because they thought, well, someone's overcome 2,000 Romans because they used to call them pigs. Jewish people used to cause, call the Roman soldiers and the Gentiles pigs. So they, you know, they'd be quite jubilant about that. A bit like the Brexit situation, you know? You've got the cheerers for Brexit, and those who booed, and the other people who didn't want Brexit to happen, the Remainers, or the Remoners, as they said. So it's like that. You see, different situations mean different things to different people. So the Jews would have thought at it like that. Then there was the Garaza Gazette. Local pig farmer loses entire herd being spooked by unknown hooligan. 2,000 pigs rush down the bank into the sea. So for the local farmers and business people, there would be outrage and outcry these pigs would be lost. That would evoke anger and outrage among local businesses and people. Or, it could have read in another one, 10th Battalion go on hunger strike due to food shortages because those pigs were more than likely, according to commentators, food for the Roman soldiers. So, there you go. Battalion on hunger strike due to food shortages. Animal man finally tamed streets safe once again. And one of the writers of this story says people couldn't go where these men were because there were two, because they were exceedingly afraid. Great fear. They, they couldn't go that way. So the whole of society was affected by these men. So let's read the story, shall we? Um, from Luke chapter 8 and verses 26 to 29. I nearly read it from Mark because um, the story is really a lot better in Mark, but I thought let's stick to what we're doing, stick to protocol, because I want to connect to the story before where Steve left off last week and picked up on that. So let's read the story. Verse 26 of Luke 8. Then they sailed, I assume that's the disciples and Jesus, after they passed through the storm on the lake, they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. Now the, country, the Gerasenes is in what they call the Decapolis, the ten cities, where, which, is, which is known as the Gentile occupied country and largely occupied by the Roman, Roman soldiers, whatever they were. And um, so... Jesus crosses over. Now, when, Jesus, when they left the other side earlier in the storm, we had the storm on the lake last week, Jesus just said to them, let's go to the other side. If it had said, we're going to the Gerasenes, they're saying, well, we don't want to go there. And why are you going there? Rabbis wouldn't go there, and Jesus was called a rabbi. It's not the best place to go for Jewish people wouldn't go there, and partly for the pigs, because, partly because it was Gentile land. Jesus, and he said, let's go to the other side. And they found out when they got there that they were going to this place, the country of the Gerasenes, opposite Galilee. Let's continue the reading. When Jesus had stepped out on land, 
there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, long time, he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him, and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerizines asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. There is a correlation between this story and the one previously which Steve said last week, and there's quite a few. First, you have the storm uh, which came up, uh, and the, the Greek reminds us that this storm came up out of nowhere, totally unexpected by the fishermen who knew how to handle storms, but they didn't know where this one came from. And it was a storm, and they passed through the storm. And in a sense, you have a man living out in the desert, and you almost say his life was a storm. So in a sense, there's a correlation there between the two, a storm on the sea and a storm in this man's life, which went on for an awful long time. And um, in these two stories, we, we see two things. We see physical things and spiritual things. And it's quite important to see the difference between the two. For the fishermen, for the fishermen on the sea, the disciples, it was a very, very phys physical thing. 
And to read, read what it says in the story, they, they were at their wit's end trying to stop the boat from sinking. Wit's end. They couldn't stop it. Just like the man in the story, he couldn't stop it. The connection between the two. The text says these waves kept coming and coming and coming and coming and coming. They couldn't handle it. They were trying to bail the boat out. And in the story, this man, for a long time, kept shouting and screaming. And his life was a storm. But in a sense, there are differences. I mean, some commentators say that that storm was a spiritual storm because the wind came up out of nowhere. It's something that happened up there. And because Jesus rebuked the wind and said to the waves, be still. Why did he rebuke the wind? Because he knew there was a greater force behind it. And you see, if you look at the story of the man, there were physical things he was doing, but there was a greater force behind it. So there's a two, there's two, the stories correlate. But then you see Steve finished up last week, this in his own words in the newsletter, Steve spoke from Luke 8, 22 to 25 about how we can find true soul rest within whatever storms we may face. And how Jesus' complete authority means we can also know his, the Saviour's, restoration in our life. And I thought that myself you know, this man, he entered into true soul rest. Because the outcome of the story was when Jesus had commanded the demons to come out of him, the story finishes. He was sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. So we see the correlation between the stories and we see the outcome but in a, in, a, in a similar way, not quite as Steve said last week, this man found true soul rest. The gospel we have today and we're privileged to be part of is one of true soul rest. And it's one where we can be Seated, if you like, because Paul writing to the Ephesian church says, in Christ Jesus, we're seated in heavenly places, in him. We're seated in him. So he was sitting, he was clothed. The Bible describes people outside of God's love, care, and saving grace are like naked people. We, we're exposed to all that God we never have a horror at in our lives. Sin he can't look on, and sin, and sin which is totally unholy to him, we're sort of naked. That's a, just a description of how we are before we find Jesus Christ. But it tells us that when we accept Jesus and we accept what he has done for us, we are clothed in his righteousness. That means our righteousness is not valid in God's presence, whatever we might think that might mean. The only righteousness that's valid 
in God's acceptance and in his presence is the righteousness of Jesus. That's why we accept him. There's no other righteousness but us. And the last thing we found, he's not only sitting and clothed, and in his, then he's in his right mind. That strikes at the heart, really, of all that this story talks about how deplorable this man's situation was. The mind. The Bible tells us that in Christ we have renewed minds. Because our mind has come to agree with his truth. Our mind has turned to his wonderful truth. It accepts, we accept who God says we are. It accepts that we can't make a move without his help. It accepts, it accepts, it accepts that there's no one else other than Jesus who can stand in our place. That's why the man went away afterwards and he told all that Jesus had done. This soul rest. And there are many, many thousands of people desperately, desperately looking for that soul rest, which can only be found in Jesus. So amazing. So wonderful. We will only find it in Jesus. It's so amazing. It's only found in him, that true, as Steve said last week. So that correlation between the story. In the New Testament, we find some lovely verses written to churches. And um, the questions I asked this morning is, what is, what, what is this story about? I thought long and hard, and I've took a long time trying to think what it's about and had difficulty trying to think what it was about to get that one point which we could hook on this morning. And really, the story is about transformation. There are other things we could hook out of it, but for this morning, it's that transformation. It is, how do we get from there to there? Do, do we just walk there? Well, no, we can't walk there. This is a spiritual thing. We can walk physically, and that man in our story could do a lot of walking physically, but he couldn't get from where he was to where he really needed to go. It's about transformation. It's not just a walk. It's transformation, which raises two questions. How on earth did he get to this deplorable state in the first place? And then what brought him to the place of rest? In our reading, we're told that whatever the spirit was, it entered him. It entered him. It entered him. And there are many, many ways where demons, if you like, or controlling spirits can enter us. And when I came in this morning, I said we'd be introduced 
to a world very different than what maybe we, any of us may be experiencing. But this man was experiencing his deplorable state. How did he get where he was? And so the writer, he said, the spirit was impure. Now the word impure here means lewd, foul, disgusting. It's associated with an uncleanness that many associating with today that takes them down a wrong path. I could say that's pornography is a good example of that. How that destroys life one way or another, whether it's child pornography or adult pornography or whatever it is. It's something that enters in because this spirit entered into him which began in his life. And I showed a paper chain. When things start, they're quite easy to deal with. But if we let them and we entertain them, they become like that, unbreakable. Now, it's rather, this story tells us the man could break the chains, but he couldn't break off from his spiritual situation. He couldn't do that. Physically, he could break away, but spiritually, he couldn't. Spiritually, he couldn't. This soul rest, which Steve spoke about last week. Transformation. How did he get where he was? There he was out in the desert. You know, we read it in the story, deplorable state. And eventually, that's where things like pornography can take us right down wrong roads. There are other things that do that, and I'll mention one or two in a minute. The hymn writer many years ago thinking about transformation, said, who makes a rebel, a priest, and a king? And for us this morning, it's Jesus who makes a rebel, a priest, and a king. Who makes a maniac, an outcast, homeless, self-harming, suicidal person, who makes a man like that a priest and a king? Jesus. Jesus makes a person like that a priest and a king. The transformation, how did he get there? There are many other things that can lead us down that path. Reading in a book just recently, one of the most dangerous places for a child is in the womb. And we might think that to be abortion. That's a physical thing, but the spiritual outflow from that is powerful. There's regret. There's guilty feelings going on and on and on and on. 
And sometimes self-harm comes from that. So there's abortion, safe place. But the womb is also dangerous spiritually as well. Sometimes you look at a poor little child and why is that child like that? And not always, but very often that child's picked up something being carried in the womb. Fear, for example. If a mother is constantly living in fear of one thing and another, that child will be a fearful person. My mum was so afraid of water, she wouldn't let me near it. And I became afraid of water. But that wasn't in the womb, but she was afraid because she had an association with a person drowning. She was afraid. Fear grips and fear affects. If there's strife in a family, a child may well be born to strife and be full of strife as they grow up. And I'm not just saying this off my head. I was reading this in a dear man and woman who were involved for a long time in delivering children from being demonized or having demonic influence in their lives. Harm and hurt. And so this man is just a picture of where it can take us. But Jesus was the answer. The wonderful thing is that when Jesus said, the thief comes to kill and destroy, I have come that they might have life. This transformation is also translation because Paul, writing to the churches, he said, looking back on the history of our salvation, he says, we have been delivered from the power of darkness into the kingdom of God's Son. Now, some people go about are so proud of their faith in God that we forget what's happened to us and what Jesus has done for, her, for us. What Jesus does for us is transforming. It takes us from that place of darkness from there and puts us in the place where we need to come. So this transformation... We've looked at how did this man get to this deplorable state and what brought him to this place of rest. You know the answer, don't you? Jesus, now I said what I thought. Jesus said, well, let's go to the other side. He went there and he came back. Was his journey just for that man? It just shows us how important, or as the hymn writer put it, the value of a soul. And in that hymn it says, Lord, teach me the value of a person, the value of a soul. And in this story, Jesus, I think, he, he just made that clear, didn't he, how important one man was to him. He actually spoke about it when he, was, uh, when he was talking about the lost sheep. It's that one sheep that's gone, and that's what he did. He went out for that one sheep into this Decapolis, these ten cities. He went out and brought him back. That's the story, the transformation from there 
are there. Have you made that? Have you, are you part of that journey? Have, have, have you actually made that journey? Has Jesus taken you on that journey? He is the only one, like in this story, can deliver us from and take us to. It's not a path we can walk, but it's one we can enter into by faith in what Jesus has done for us. Very quickly, worship did play a part in this story. You'll read it. And three elements are quite important to God when we worship. We're going to have communion this morning. And that is essentially worship in what we do and thanksgiving for what he's done for us. And three elements are quite important when we worship. This man came to a place of worship. Drawing near. The Bible says if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. It's transporting our attention away from everything else. God is worthy of our distracted, undistracted focus. He's worthy of that. Draw near to God and he will draw near to us. Two, second important thing in worship is who Jesus is. Our story last week with Steve finished with this. The disciples said, who is this that does this? It's strange, isn't it? The demons answered the question. The next story on, they said, Jesus, son of the most high God. They answered the question. And that answered the question for us. When we come to worship, it's about who Jesus is. Thirdly, what he has done for us. Now, the man in the story, the ending of the story, you know, Jesus said, he wanted to, this man wanted to follow Jesus. He says, no. He said, go and tell your friends how much I've done for you, the Lord has done for you. But we read in the story, he went all over the Decapolis and told how much God had done for him. <laughs> it had that impact on his life. He went all over that, that area and told how much Jesus had done for him. And it's important when we come to worship just to tell God and praise him for what he's done for us. I, I think some of you might find that difficult because maybe at this stage you've not really appreciated what God has done for you. It's that transforming work not just my faith. We can, we can almost say anything. It's my faith that helped me. It's my faith that I rely on. No, it's what Jesus has done for you you should be relying on. Not your faith. Your faith is in him. That's the difference. We need to understand what Jesus has done for us, and that is the important thing. I finish with a warning the church was a place where the early apostles gave warnings. And it's like this. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods 
that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. I just want to finish here where I said it before, I believe there is an unhealthy attraction to the welfare of animals. I'm not saying let's be unkind. God never meant us to be unkind to animals. But you saw what happened to the pigs. And for the students, just ask your question. I'll ask you the question to look at this. Do you think, do you think the pigs were drowned by the demons going to them? Or do you think those pigs drowned because that's what Jesus caused? Just something you to think about. But here, 2,000 pigs, as a result of this, God's telling us again that the man is far more valuable than a commodity. But we're living in an increasing world. And I finish with this story. My mum, bless her, she loved animals. And um, one day, she thought she heard a sparrow got down into the cavity of the wall in our house when I was a boy. And it's not the fact that she wanted the sparrow out, it's the grief she gave my dad to get the sparrow out. <laughs> she kept on and on and on and on at him. My dad wasn't very practical, but she made him get the sparrow out of the wall. There were bricks from the building lying on the ground. He was sweating, and his hair was like that. And some would say, don't put your dear husband to grief for the sake of a sparrow. But you know, Jesus picked up on the sparrows, and he says, not one falls to the ground without God noticing. But the point is here, we're living in a time when is oh, let's get rid of the cows because they're causing pollution. Let's get rid of them. Oh, let's stop eating the cows so that the farmers are out of work. And I, I'm not badgering you. I'm not being judgmental. I'm just trying to make the point. This story raises the question. They're important, but don't let it get to the demonic proportion that we're warned about here. Thank you.